Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. My special guest is Desiree Batiste. Desiree is an emerging poet and author. She's been writing poetry since she was nine years old when she was first published in a small locally distributed newspaper for children. She's had poems published in the web magazine Medium.com. She's also had one of her poems published in Poetry.com's Best Poems and Poets of 2023 compilation. Am I correct, Desiree? No, that one was 2000. <laughs> that was a while back. <laughs> That's a joke between Desiree and I. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Also, good people. Her goal is to become a full-time author focusing on the genres of poetry, psychological thriller fiction, and the finalization of her autobiography. Her new poetry collection is available on Amazon and other places. The title is The Shaping of a Diamond. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. (laughs) I'm glad you're with me, too. Again, this is live radio podcasting, so we never know what will happen, but we're going to enjoy the ride, all right? Ain't that the truth. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Hey, it's kind of like life. You never know what's going to be thrown your way. We've got to somehow be resilient and roll with the punches, you know? Very true. It's like life. Let's begin this poetic journey. Desiree, what is poetry? So to me, a poem is a moment that is frozen in time. The words are like a photograph. They capture the tears that you were too broken to cry, the emotions that were too strong to process, the joy that was too pure to forget and lock that away in time. And when the poem is read and shared, any similar moments or experiences that are felt by the reader will trigger the same emotional response in them that the author captured in that moment and allows those emotions to flow freely. So I've always kind of thought of it was very cathartic in that, in that way. So. Tell me more about what poetry is to you off the cuff from your heart. I really just believe that it is giving life to our emotions and our experiences right. and sharing that with other people. All right. Tell me more. I like that. Tell me more. I've always kind of hidden behind poetry, I guess you'd say, okay. until All I right. decided to That's publish my book. You know, okay. I kind of evolved from, I guess you'd say, you know, writing in a diary or journaling to, mm-hmm. you know, the first poem that I wrote that got published actually was just like a little, hey, write a simple poem, you know, mm-hmm. one of those assignment mm-hmm. things. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll write this. And I never expected that it would get published. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and so then that kind of connected with me. And I've kind of always used that as, oh, I can't stand that this happened to me. Or, oh, this was so awesome and this and that, you know. And I noticed that as time went on, most of the time, those things were coming out in a rhyme scheme, but sometimes they weren't. And I'd go mm-hmm. back and look at it and be like, oh, wow, 
like I was really down at that period mm-hmm. of time or, you know, wow, I really turned that situation around and it became really inspiring. And so that's yeah. kind of what I hope to do for other people is to inspire them. How will you know that you've inspired them? Well, I've already gotten some critiques from like editors and from some of my followers on Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, they'll just say like, wow, the imagery in this is so powerful. Or I really love how you put hope in at the end of that. Or, you know, I really understand what you're talking about. And just those little comments really make my day because it's like, okay, you get it. I did my job. (laughs) I like hearing that. I like hearing that. So why do you think that? Poetry is important. As I said earlier, why do we do what we do when we do what we do? <laughs> well, um, it's just about speaking your mind and your heart. It's a portal to creativity. So sometimes you might, you know, build a character who lives the way that you wish you could or a world where you wish you could exist or you talk about experiences that you've had in ways where you're empowered by it rather than traumatized by it. And I think that's really important. Very nice, Desiree. I like that. I like the sound of that. Please share with me an early experience. And I know you talked about being nine years old. Mm -hmm. An early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. Let's expand on the nine years old. So I actually ended up winning a poetry contest in high school and getting a little uh, award for that. And Mm -hmm. what really struck me was that when they came to give it to me in my classroom, they said that mine was the best serious one that they came across, but they liked someone else's funny one. And their original uh, intention was to just pick one winner, but they said that they liked mine so much that they couldn't just not give it to me. So they split it at the end and they went, okay, so she's going to have the best funny, you have best serious. And I was like, oh, All right. that's so cool, you know, to make that kind of an impression on somebody to where they're like, yeah, we can't just play this by the wayside. We, we have to say that we like it. All right. All right. Please share a poem. Okay. Um, I will share the first one from my book. And this one is called Nothing is Real. And it was just one of those moments um, actually leading up to my suicide attempt where you feel like you're in the matrix. Nothing makes sense. Everything's backwards. I guess. And, you know, your emotions are just all over the place. So she walked down the powdered hallway to the shadowed door hit the candy-coated steps leading west, wanting reality less and fantasy more because life had lost its zest. Her feet hit the plastic concrete. Her mind wanders through a timeless place where the killers heal and the honest men cheat. The clock in the hall stands with no face. All is nothing. The echo repeats. Nothing is real. Turning the crooked corner to a path leading nowhere but intending to follow as far as it takes her. People who have to listen can't. The rest just don't care and are st- still aren't prepared for what occurs. Laying in the darkness of a silk-coated room, lost in thoughts that bury you alive, what could be love is clearly not, the brightness turned to gloom. And the only question repeats again, why, why, why? All is nothing, the echo repeats, nothing is real. Hearing the shatter of a noiseless, transparent glass, turning to face your doom and welcome it in, trying to get by, trying to get through, you can't pass. You've just been captured by your sin. You close your eyes to see the light. You pray that pain won't hurt you. Even though you know it might, you pray the hurt won't touch you. 
Silently, it creeps in, snuffs out the candle of life. Motionless, you lay there accepting. You can face no more strife. All is nothing. The echo repeats. Nothing is real. Not even the pain you feel. And that's the end. What a powerful poem, Desiree. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) Well, you're very open about one of the reasons that led you to write it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very open. And that is, like I said, I, I had to do this for me. This was kind of part of me healing from everything mm-hmm. that happened to me. And I kind of felt like, okay, I, when, when you're a victim of domestic violence or a victim yes. of abuse rather than being a survivor, mm-hmm. you're still carrying around this shame that they put on you or this label of fear and insecurity and not being good enough. And I was done with that. It just dragged me down so often. And so I just decided, okay, you know what? The shame is not mine. I'm going to put it back where it belongs. I'm going to stand tall and I'm going to be like, you know what? I survived this. And if you are walking a dark path right now, you can also survive it. You deserve better. And I wanted that to just connect to people in whatever way that it could. And, you know, maybe help to bridge that gap. You know, so many of us out there, we've been hurt and Mm -hmm. you need that human connection, but you don't look for it because you're afraid of being hurt. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like, well, my pain might have a point if I'm able to kind of extend that hand and be like, hey, look, I understand you. So is it fair to me to say that your pain inspired the book? You do write the book? Yes, my pain as well as my triumph over it because I did end it on a happy note. (laughs) Yes, yes. Now, tell me about the title. Now that we're talking, The Mm -hmm. Shaping of a Diamond, I can see it in my mind, from my perspective, Mm -hmm. what that might mean. But tell me about Mm -hmm. the title from your perspective. Okay. Um, Actually, kind of part of my introduction where I explain that uh, I was beaten down. And there were so many things that cut at me that gave me facets of depth and shaped me to being the diamond that I am today. So it was kind of an analogy for that. All right. Beautiful. Share another poem. I like hearing your work, Desiree. Share another poem. Thank you. Okay. So this one actually is the story of my suicide attempt and what happened. This was what led me to actually sign faith and start getting myself a little bit more centered in life. And it's called The Promise. Mm -hmm. The 300 pills went down with a thud. Sitting in the alcohol cocktail, I threw on top of them. My eyes grew heavy. I felt like crud. A tragic end to a tragic femme. My body and soul began to separate. I threw up, but I couldn't feel it. I knew by then it was way too late. A broken heart with no way to heal it. My eyes opened somewhere else. I was floating above the ground on my back. Was this some kind of evil spell? It felt like I was under attack. The landscape around me was brown and dead. I've never felt such fear. My mind just wanted to be back in my bed or anywhere else but here. I felt a dread heavier than a ton of bricks. It started to choke my soul. Suicide was clearly one of the devil's tricks, and falling for it, I had lost control. I remember a tear coming out of my eye, me realizing it was too late. The worry in me grew, and I couldn't say why likely because I started grasping my fate. I thought to myself, I wish I could start over, but I knew I had no chance. In hell, there are no four-leaf clover, so I just zoned out into a trance. Then I felt a shift of direction, a pull of the flow, 
Before I could have a minute of reflection, a change of speed, and off I go. It was no longer a death desert. That was gone in a blink. The landscape began to convert before I could even think. When I focused my vision, I just saw light, and I peered into its center. I felt love, strength, and might because I sat before my mentor. I knew him immediately. His eyes were piercing, like Tiffany stained glass windows. He was surrounded by a beautiful green meadow clearing. Over top of my amazement, his voice rose. Why can't you see your beauty as I see it in my heart? You've gone from just being moody to tearing yourself apart. I could see how I looked in the reflection of his eyes. I was not ugly and small. It was then it sunk in and I realized the enormity of it all. This was God. There was no more doubt. He cared for me more than anyone ever had. In my stupidest time of need, he helped me out, helped to bring something good out of something bad. He told me that he was proud of me and I would get my second chance. There was one condition you see as I looked around at the great expanse. He said, make me a promise now that you'll never throw your life away. I need to hear you vow that you know why you need to stay. I was honest and said it hurt too much losing love, having Mark ripped away. I said it's easy to ask things like that when he's above and doesn't have to feel this way. <laughs> he told me I was mistaken. He'd lost loved ones too. Even though I felt forsaken, he was there to see me through. He didn't want me to be among the lost. He said that I'd always have love, but never to pay so high a cost, thinking to punch out early and return to him above. I still had life to live. I still had things to do. I still had much to give. I knew it all was true. My mind tried to process this. God is real. He's here. But back home were others who began to miss me because I wasn't near. I woke up in the hospital, tears running down my face. I'm just a stupid teenager, not an apostle. Who the hell will believe this wild goose chase? Something told me it didn't matter whether anyone else believed. There would always be negative chatter from Satan and all those he deceived. I just have to live my life well. Let my outcome be my story. Since he saved me from the depths of hell to give me one more shot for his glory. The end. <laughs> Um, I need a minute to to process that. <laughs> I will give you that minute. Thank you. You're welcome. Your work already affects me in that way. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, it does. I'm Let's really explore for a second the predominant themes in the book. What do you primarily write about? Um, well, I would say it's kind of a journey because I started okay. out with um, my mother's abuse of me, me uh, losing the only guy that I had ever trusted. Um, let's see, me the first time I got attacked by someone, um, depression, mental mm -hmm. illness, um, but then little lights, uh, glimmers of hope, you know, there's me writing about love and what I dreamed that a healthy relationship would be like, kind of mm -hmm. clung on to that hope. Um, me finally finding my husband, my soulmate. And mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, the pitfall that we hit uh, September of last year, he had a full manic episode, which was the first one he'd had in 15 years. Uh -huh. And, of course, I didn't know him at the time uh, when he first got diagnosed, so I did not know how bad it could possibly be. But 
if I'm being honest, it was Mm -hmm. literally my worst fear because here's, we've been together, you know, two years. We actually just celebrated our two year wedding anniversary yesterday. (laughs) Oh, wow. Very nice. Yeah. So we've been together for a total of two and a half years, but married for two. And so at this point I'm like two years, this man has been a dream. He's been Mm -hmm. not violent, not, argumentative, not horrible. He's just been encouraging and loving and just a wonderful person. And to see that just 180 turn on its head like that, I wasn't expecting. It really drew me because I had started to let down my guard and started to heal from all of those times where, you know, security and stability got yanked out from under me and here, here it's happening again. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? And it really put me in a bad spot for several months. And so there was uh, several poems that I wrote during that period of time where I was really struggling. And then of course I did end the book on a high note, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, a lot of the theme of that is, is those things plus finding, finding yourself, standing up for yourself, finding faith, not being afraid to embrace that. All right. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Uh Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, so how does a poem begin for you, Desiree, based on it being a lot of different things? Is it with an idea, a form, or an image? Sometimes it can be all three. Sometimes I'll be sitting doing absolutely nothing, you know, like watching a movie with my husband or something, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. I'll just be like, huh, yeah, that's really good. I should write that down. And I'll, like, grab my yes. notepad off my phone and start, you know, going going to town with it because it just – popped in my head um I kind of draw the parallel to if anybody's seen uh Amadeus the movie about Mozart and mm-hmm. he used to joke how it was already finished in his head it's very much like that for me most of the time most of the time I can just I get struck by it either because yes. I was thinking of something or because I was telling a story or so, some memory got triggered or something and then all of a sudden it's just blah 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 blah, blah, blah and I write it down and then I'm like oh wow that sounds pretty good <laughs> so well, I was thinking when I made this statement about it being a lot, in quotes, mm-hmm. life is a lot sometimes. Mm-hmm. It can be Definitely. so full of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a span of 24 hours, it makes your head spin around yeah. and around. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. So with life being so full, Tell us about the selection process. How is you, how were you able to narrow it down into the poems that you chose to put into the book? That took some time because mm-hmm. I was going all the way back to when I first started doing the ones that I felt were tied to this theme, tied to this journey. And so, you know, I'm going all the way back to when I was 16. And so obviously my style then isn't the same as my style now, but the feeling and the emotion still resonates. So all in all, I noticed I hadn't really changed that much except to maybe like have a better vocabulary, you know? So I sat down and I, I kind of wrote each um, like intro um, chapter, if you will. I call them facets where like I explain, Hey, this is what was going on in my life at the time that, you know, that this stuff happened. And then, you know, the next one I'd be like, okay, so now here I'm in high school and you know, this is what was going on then. And, you know, what inspired me to write this? And then the next chapter, you know, when I'm like, I called it learning to adult, <laughs> okay. when I'm trying to, you know, step out of that, you know, 
that ignorance, that, you know, adolescent mindset and try to embrace that idea of faith that I knew was real. But at the same time, like, I was still fighting against it somewhat because my mother had soured me on God and religion and everything having to do with that because of how she was. And Mm -hmm. so having that revelation during my suicide attempt was actually very freeing, but I also had to like kind of discard that baggage that I had associated Mm -hmm. to it. All right. Well, please share another few works. I want to hear. Okay. This one is going to be like the most, I'm just going to tell you that right now. Okay, <laughs> like, okay. Like, if you, if you were like, that's a lot, this is a lot more. That way. Okay. But, right. but the, I promise you the next two that I'm going to share are actually way more, I guess, positive. So They don't, so, they don't need but, to be. They don't need to be positive. They just need to be life. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So but don't worry this about one, it. This one I wrote, and it was very empowering because I actually okay. told my story of um, the three abusive relationships that I was in. One was just a relationship, two were marriages. And I mm-hmm. told it all. I actually wasn't afraid to put their first names in here because I was kind of okay. like, you know what? I'm, I'm done wearing this shame. You can have it. It's right. not mine. So it's called You Can't Hurt Me Anymore. Mm-hmm. My son Aaron's father, Dan, I met in 1997. I thought he was the man, my match made in heaven. Little did I know it was not to be. He had a porn addiction and was extremely cruel to me, perpetuating constant pain infliction. He lied about where he'd been when he didn't come home. He mocked me when I told him I felt alone, just a child himself, but wanted our son, yet acted like a crazed ape. Our relationship was nearly done just before my nightmare rape. He arranged a friend to come in to do it, all because he owed him 50 bucks he couldn't pay. It was his decision to put me through it and take my dignity away. If messing with my heart wasn't enough, next he targeted my mind. Things began to get really rough. I looked for answers, but none did I find. He told me he was a demon from hell and would kill me one day. All I could think was that he was not well and that I had to get away. Surviving long enough to have my boy and write his name down on the paper never thinking his dad would treat me like a sex toy by forcing himself on me six days later. He ripped open my stitches. I got an infection. But those who tell end up dead in ditches, so I kept silent for my own protection. In an amusing twist, I was supposedly too difficult, so he ended our relationship and left. And there I was, a broken adult, soul-weary and bereft. Before I could blink and knock at my door, after only a few months of peace, I was warmed by the smile he wore and assumed my happiness could only increase. I'd known David in high school. We were very close friends. He told me he knew he'd been a fool to never speak of his true intent. He'd liked me in more than a friendship way. He was there to ask me to let him have a chance to hear what he had to say. He knew I had my son to care for and didn't want us to be alone. He wanted to see what life had in store for the three of us on our own. Six months later, we were husband and wife, and in less than 90 days, I realized I'd ruined my life in one of the most horrible ways. He was a monster deep down inside, the list of his crimes unending. The first thing I knew I could never abide was that he raped the best man from our wedding. He never told me he was bisexual or that he wanted to be a swinger. He acted like all that was supposed to be natural, 
to a woman who'd been through the ringer. I'd like to say I was smarter this time and had the courage to walk away, but in my pocket I had less than a dime. In my future, I had no say. One day in the kitchen, dinner burned inside the hot skillet. This was the first day I learned it was his goal to find innocence and kill it. The hot pan smashed the right side of my face. I almost lost my eye, laying on the floor in unconscious disgrace, so I couldn't even ask him why. He thought he ended me. Maybe he was going to brag. He thought I was dead, you see, when he started to put me in a trash bag. He was surprised to see me stir and made up some excuse. That day passed in a blur, replaced by even more abuse. I even forgave him for cheating. I tried to love him past that. All I'd get was another beating and labels like useless and fat. One day, things took the darkest turn as he prepared to do his worst. It was that day that I did learn a heart can't just break, it can burst. Pushed face down on the carpet, enduring horrors for what felt like days. To this day, I can't shake the shame I feel from him hurting me so many ways. Mocked when he was done, forced to clean up the blood, he said he had to run and shut the door with a thud. The physical damage done that day caused me over 20 more years of issues. But if you think that's the saddest thing I have to say, then you better go grab some tissues. One day, I got lucky that he chose to leave, marched the new girl in to help him move, a new face for him to deceive, somewhere else for him to get his groove. He was ready to leave and drop me like I didn't matter, not caring I was pregnant with a little girl, whose life he was also about to shatter. That didn't even stop him from the insults he'd hurl. I got through the next year recklessly, Marriage on the rebound, thinking of happiness endlessly, hoping I was safe and sound. After a few months, we knew our mistake. I filed for divorce. He moved out. At that point, I'd had all I could take and was filled with a bunch of doubt. When would I ever find the one? Or what if there wasn't someone for me? I'd searched almost everywhere under the sun for a love that was meant to be. Months of useless one-night stands, my self-esteem in the trash, I started to revive my former plans while I worked overtime for extra cash. In an online chat room, I met Chris. I thought he was heaven sent, settled into what I assumed would be bliss and prepared to be content. He cheated on me within the first year, so he refused to acknowledge his wrong. Turns out he was an exhibitionist and a voyeur and act like I should have known all along. Tried to make me feel like I overreacted to him chatting with girls and jerking off on cam. While I was working, he slacked and pulled the wool over my eyes like a scam. Another porn addiction, but told me he wasn't into it. Looked at it for hours a day until minutes before I came home. Didn't make me feel loved, just more and more like shit, because after hours of other women, he wanted to be alone. When I asked if he loved me, he said yes, never know or maybe. So I thought up the worst solution and suggested we have a baby, which turned out to be my marriage's execution. As the years passed by, he got worse, screaming obscenities at me lost its punch. I knew then this was just another curse. He'd settled for me, but didn't even like me much. Narcissists aren't capable of feeling. All they do is manipulate. My broken soul just left reeling. I saw what he was too late. His charisma helped him keep on the mask. He was always popular, liked by his friends, always eager to do any task. They thought he was nice like he pretends. 
behind closed doors, a demon. He beat me and the girls. No was not an option. He forced in the semen. Impossible to shut out the hate he hurled. Pattern became ignored, demand, ridicule. My expectations were to grovel, serve, and accept. Any kindness ever sprinkled on me became minuscule. His bedroom prowess, half-assed and inept. My self-esteem and health he erased. My dysfunction he did shape. Just when I thought I couldn't be further disgraced, that's when he escalated to rape. 2007 brought a bad health diagnosis for me and a medication I should have never had. In time, we would both see. It quickly turned good me into bad. Behavioral side effects from the meds caused me to be nearly manic, turned me into a girl who beds anyone from a chef to a mechanic. My body just wanted attention. My heart wanted to be adored. I sank into a depression. The further into adultery I got, the more I got bored. Fired from my job, a blessing in disguise. Could not afford the pills anymore. After months, I began to realize how I'd gone from housewife to whore. I wanted to tell him, but I knew he'd beat me. I prayed I could keep him from finding out. But one day, a persistent text he did see, and that erased any doubt. His reaction was what I expected. He was ready to just let loose. It was all about him feeling rejected, which in his mind justified abuse. This time, he got arrested, and after the first year passed, he blamed me for it all. I was now even more detested. I had never felt so small. I prayed and prayed for an exit. I begged for true love to find me. After 17 years of hell, he was ready to quit because he reconnected with his first love, Bethany. Now I was expendable. He didn't need me anymore. He proceeded to break up a second couple just so he could finally score, not caring about causing all the trouble. And so came not one but two divorce cases, which finally ended decades of my lack of waiting. If you want to know the next step of this tale, then read my poem, Ode to Online Dating. Now to deliver this phrase to Dan, David, and Chris. You'll be afraid for the rest of your days. Because God knows every wrong you've done and his justice doesn't miss. I won't waste one more moment on any of you. I've cleared out the emotional baggage. There's the door. And now the world even knows it too. You can't hurt me anymore. That's the end. Desiree. (laughs) Yes. There's so many questions that I have. But I'll ask you one before the break, and you think about it. And when we return okay. from the break, you can answer it. Okay. Well, actually, Sounds two good. questions. Okay. Are you hoping this book will resonate with a wide range of readers, or are you targeting a specific group of people with your work? That's the first Both. Hold on um, to it. Actually, Hold on to it. My... Hold on. Hold on to okay. it. Hold it after the break. All right. Sure. sure. All right. And then second right. thing. And... I want to know how were you able to deal with the emotional impact of writing this book on you? Mm-hmm. All right. Think about those two. All right. Okay. And we'll be right back.
are back. I'm here with Desiree Batiste. Desiree, before you answer those questions, we have a special guest. Okay. I'd like to bring him on. Okay. He's a remarkable poet, internationally recognized. I think you'll know his name, Michael Lee Johnson. Hello, Michael. Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm quite well. And yourself? Well, I'm trying to turn the volume off because I was listening in online a little bit late. Now, hold on here. I hate to hold on here. How do I do this? Just bear with me here. There we go. Are you there? Yes. All right. I'm here with Desiree. She's going to answer two questions. Mm-hmm. Before I turn her over to you, in a sense, <laughs> Desiree. No, I, you know what? I've got something. I just, I just got to get it out of my system. Okay, please, please, Desiree. Mm-hmm. Are you there? I'm here. <laughs> I am so proud of you. Oh, mm. thank you. Mm. Thank I'm you. so proud of you. Can I tell you the reason why? Please, I'd love to know. You are so to the gut. That you scared the living hell out of people. <laughs> and you know what? I was really worried about that. But you know what? When I'm listening, I'm saying to myself, my God, this is what poetry is all about. Wow. Bottom line. Thank Desiree, you. Desiree. Desiree, you're going to remember this forever. I the believe heart you. Of you is poetry that has to be expressed by people, no matter where they come from, no matter where they go. There's always a Jesus and a cross to follow. And you know what, my love? Mm. You just make tears come to my heart listening to you out there. And you know what? You're banging it away, kid. You're banging Aww. it away. I'm so proud of you. Thank That's you. It. Thank you. You oh, take Michael. care of yourself. Michael's going to hang on for just a couple of minutes more. Just a couple of minutes okay. more. All okay. right. Desiree, wow. Mm-hmm. First, are you attempting to reach a certain audience, or is it for anyone? It's literally for anyone and everyone. Um, okay. I believe that every single person could pick up my book and read it and probably at least connect to one poem, if not many in there. And I've actually received that feedback from several people um, Mm -hmm. during this journey. You know, I mean, it connects to people who have dealt with, you know, child abuse, who've dealt with pushing away any type of connection to faith, people who have lost loved ones, um, people who are, you know, depressed or suicidal or have any type of, like, mental illness, you know, um, your journey to find acceptance, first of all, from yourself, but maybe from anybody else, you know, journey to Mm -hmm. find love, um, finding faith and what that feels like, you know, trying to reinvent yourself. All of those things are very relatable. So I I really encourage anybody, you know, if, if you've ever thought that poetry wasn't for you, I mean, my husband, he's definitely Mm -hmm. not a poetry guy, but, um, the day that the, hard copy showed up in the mail he read it the first day cover to cover and he said you are amazing and I was like yeah you're just saying that and he's like no you really are (laughs) 
So how did you deal with the emotional impact of sharing yourself so... I can't. You can't hear me, Michael? Can you hear me, sir? All right. All right. All right. I'll speak up just a little bit. I guess I'm so... This is such a powerful powerful episode. How were you able to deal with the emotional impact of sharing your work in that way by putting it on paper? How did that work I, for you? To me, it was actually kind of like lancing a wound, I'd mm. say, because these were things that I'd carried with me my whole life. And even though I had, you know, written them down and, and captured them in the poem, mm-hmm. I was always scared to share that with anybody. You know, right. I I was always like, okay, yeah, I, I, you know, got published in the little kid's newspaper. I won a high school poetry contest, but I, I'm not, you know, a Rembrandt. I'm not Shakespeare. You know, I'm not, I'm not that. I'm not one of those people. I always like had so much doubt in my abilities. And I also didn't want people to, you know, I'd be walking down the street or in Walmart or somewhere and somebody's like, hey, that's the one that all that stuff happened to, you know, like I didn't mm-hmm. know if I could handle that. Yes. And then finally, one day I was like, you know what, I'm tired of being a prisoner to my past. And it just feels like I'm going round and round in circles. And that if I don't let this out, it's probably going to just burst out of me at some mm. random point in time. And that's not going to be healthy for me. So right. I've been in counseling since 2019. And, you know, I'm still working through a lot of things. Uh, turns mm-hmm. out I actually have a lot of uh, repressed memories that I just, locked out because it was too much for me to deal with and you know having to have those realizations come on you one day when you're just like oh yeah wow I I do remember that and now you're having to deal with that feeling that you should have dealt with you know decades ago because now it's in front of you so it's a process you know I understand you know I believe and champion mental health services they can be so helpful to provide you with a way to share your story with someone who can be objective to your story. Mm-hmm. That is so important. It's been important for me to speak personally. Yeah. It's been very important for me. Very yeah. important for me. What do you view as being the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? I hate my speaking voice. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I, I have that nervous laughter that's always oh, very, very high-pitched and very, very, like, awkward. Okay. So when I do try to read my poems, like when I go to the little bookstore that I have the partnership with right now and, you know, mm-hmm. go to do my monthly share with uh, with Seth Duvall. Seth, if you're listening, yes. hey, you're awesome. Hello. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, when, when we go and we're doing our thing and trying to encourage other people, we've had so many people come in and they're just sitting there and they're listening and you can see everything striking a chord, just hit, mm-hmm. hit, hit. And some of them break down and they actually cry and you can tell, Hey, you're holding on to something. And so we'll just continue all through the, the time to go, Hey, open mic night. If you mm-hmm. have something, share it. And we always get that, oh, well, I don't think it's really a poem. You know, I, I do have something I wrote down. You know, hey, feel free. No one's going to judge you here. And then I pre- prepare myself for, okay, it's just going to be some random thing. And instead, it's like one of the most moving, beautiful things that I've ever heard. 
And I've had to walk up to some of these people and I'm like, don't let anyone, including yourself, ever tell you that you're not a poet because you're amazing. And I love that process. I love doing that for people every month, you know, showing Mm -hmm. them that, hey, you can be bigger than your fear. So So assisting the, quote, voiceless find their voice Mm -hmm. is very important to you. Very important. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I had that stigma about poetry, but, you know, hey, I I think what most people think it is, right? Like that it's Mm -hmm. that unrelatable, only for scholars, you know, lofty, abstract, you know, something that you're really not going to understand. And it's, you know, you're supposed to appreciate it because it's historical, but it just doesn't resonate with you. And I just, I don't like that stigma because there Mm -hmm. have been so many things in life that I found that I've been moved by different things that you wouldn't expect to get moved by or maybe different authors. Like one of my favorites is Robert Frost. I love him. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I love uh, Henry David Thoreau. I love Walt Whitman, you know, and just being able to connect to the things that other people say and go, wow, you know, that was deep. And, and some of the words that were used, I know that they were substitutes for a feeling or substitutes for something else, but wow, I can totally see where you're coming from. And that was an inspiration for me my whole life. So what do you think your work reveals about being human? I, I kind of would like to brand myself at this stage in life as unapologetically human. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I said in my book dedication, you know, my introduction that I didn't pull any punches. I didn't sugarcoat things. I was very raw and straight to the point. And not only did I have the guts to call my abusers out, Mm -hmm. I threw myself under the bus just as much as I did with anybody because I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. I don't walk on water. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's not my thing. So being able to admit my faults, I think really, was very therapeutic for me and it gave me strength to go, you know what? I don't have to be ashamed of this anymore. Yeah, it happened, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's behind me. Look at where I am now. Right. So before you share another piece, Mm -hmm. what is one thing that makes your writing unique and different from others? What do you think that may be? I think what I've been told by others, I think Mm -hmm. it's really true that I seem to paint, the world that I was in with my words, the imagery, you know, the, the choice of words that I use and how I spin what I have to say, it kind of sucks you in. And it's almost like when you're watching a movie, right? Mm-hmm. A pre-recorded movie and you're there and you're seeing this unfold before you and you're just like, wow, what am I supposed to do with that? Oof, you know, I might need to rewind that and watch it again to make sure I saw what I just saw, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's definitely a motivation for me is just that that connection to language and being able right. to paint that picture. And I'm I'm really blessed. Yes. Please share another of your poems. Okay. So this one is about the passing of my father and how connected I was to my father, how much he meant to me. And This poem was important to me because I had an experience in here, which the poem will talk about, that I kind of received validation of my experience that I'd had during my suicide attempt. You know, I've had a lot of people try to discredit that and be like, 
oh, well, I've never seen anything or I don't believe anything. I'll believe it when I see it. And it's like, well, I did see it. Well, oxygen deprivation, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, then why did this happen to me in a dream when I was not oxygen deprived? <laughs> you know, and it was coming up on the anniversary of his passing. So I just kind of felt like it validated everything about that experience. And it made me feel so good. So this is called My Father's Eyes. When I came into the world, he was there to hold me. He always wanted a little girl, or at least that's what my parents told me. The times when mom wouldn't listen or even try to understand. Instead of giving me a whipping, dad was there to lend a hand. I remember the day I left home and the shame I couldn't disguise was reflected 10 times worse than anything I'd known in my father's eyes. I remember the day that mom told dad that my son and I were alone. I had lost the love I thought I'd had, but dad said I could always come home. I remember the day that mom told him that my husband had left me with child. Mom thought I lived life on a whim or that I was just running wild. Dad tried to hold in his anger toward his former son-in-law, inside thinking sooner or later he'd be clocking that fool in the jaw. I remember the day he found out I was engaged, at two months pregnant, no less. I thought my parents would be enraged, but my dad wished me every success. I remember the day I got the call that changed my life to this day. The words pretty much said it all. Your father has passed away. Then going to the viewing to measure dad for a shirt. I knew it would be my undoing if mom saw how much I was hurt. When we went on the day of the service, I could see a scar through his hair part. I hurried to fix it so nervous that if mom saw, it would re-break her heart. We put rose petals across his chest and roses in his hands, preparing him for eternal rest, free from time's falling sands. I tried not to cry as I put in his lapel a baby blue carnation. I knew that he would no longer be able to tell. It looked the same as the one he wore at his wedding celebration. We all sang a song to honor his life and then paused to wipe away our tears, gave a moment of silence to remember the strife he had fought through all these years. But when it came time to give the speech, I didn't know if I could remember. After all, what words of mine could reach into the gates of heaven? I honored him for his wisdom and courage. I acknowledged he had no more pain, silent in the knowledge that missing him was driving me insane. Just before they closed the lid and fired blank rifle shots into the skies, a quiet farewell I bid, knowing I would never again see my father's eyes. When my daughter was born, I took her to his resting place, knowing that he saw every tear shorn that was falling down my face. I wanted him to see her, as silly as that may sound, because she is my world now that he's no longer around. Every visit I've made since then, I've tried to make a release. How are you supposed to get closure when the person you owe your life to is deceased? I dreamt one night I was crying, sitting on a rock alone, when I heard a voice behind me saying, why are you here on this stone? I couldn't look up to answer. I only muttered that I'd let someone down. I couldn't face this stranger and really didn't want him around. When I heard the stranger's voice again, I couldn't believe the reply. He said, may you have peace within and see yourself through my father's eyes. I looked up to recognize my dad as he had never been. He no longer looked sick, worn out, or sad. and He had a look of wisdom from within. I felt honored to be near him, even more than I had in life. He promised me sink or, sink or swim. He would help me through my strife. 
Even though you cannot see me, I'll be with you till the end. Then we'll both be free and in heaven together again. When I woke up, I was crying, but I had a peace I couldn't disguise that only grew stronger in spying a picture of my dad. And there were tears in my father's eyes. Mm. That's the end. Wow. That was a very special moment for me. <laughs> yes, I can tell. <laughs> Please share with me the titles of five poems in your book. Like five different ones? <laughs> five different ones, yes. Just any okay. five poems. So there's Purgatory. Uh, there is Ode to Online Dating. There is The Man He Will Never Be. There is Zoning Out. And Daydreamer. All right. There's also a poem in your book, I believe, titled Fragments of My Mind. Am I correct? Uh, actually, no, that one's not in the book. It actually was just recently published on Put It to Rest on Medium. Do you so, have it with you tonight? Do you have it? I, I do, actually. Yes, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. Okay, perfect. I can do that. So fragments of my mind and the inspiration behind that was just, I feel like we all know we have different sides to our personality. And sometimes when you get frazzled and over emotional, those things kind of pull in all different directions. So that's kind of inspiration for this taking a look inside i see the broken pieces trapped within secrets i've spent a lifetime trying to hide change must start somewhere but how do i begin so many fragments of me each one with a different face each one of them can see that i can't keep up this pace the inner child wants a childhood the serious me wants discussion all of us just want a life that's good without any repercussions the angry me wants to release its rage. The balanced me wants more faith. All of us want freedom from this cage, away from the darkness that lurks like a wraith. The wilder me wants a huge dose of fun. The main me at times wishes to be whole. Piece together all these fragments so that I can feel like I have a soul. I want to stop being afraid. I want to believe I can change. Time to clean up this mess I made and prepare to turn the page. This story isn't finished. There's still so much to tell once my illness has diminished and I'm free from this self-made hell. Piece them all together again, these fragments of my mind. Once that's complete, that is when I can leave this pain behind. Beautiful. You know, I think one of the greatest honors that a poet can receive is when someone else reads their work. I agree. You agree? Why do you agree? I do. Well, um, you know, I've submitted several poems to uh, Fine Lines, and uh, I've got several uh, enrolled in this contest for uh, 2023 Poet Laureate through Booksy and submitted to a couple other publications. And anytime that you get either feedback on Facebook because, hey, this just got accepted, you can read it, and you get those, hey, wow, great work. Hey, I love that, you know, or just the email knowing that, hey, this was selected and it's out there. It's, it's everything. I love that. Well, I also think it's an honor when someone else performs or recites your work. Mm-hmm. I agree I with treat, that. I have a treat for you. Okay. Fragments of My Mind, mm-hmm. read by 
Michael Lee Johnson. Oh, wow. Fragments of mind by Desiree Batista. Taking a look inside, I see the broken pieces trapped within. Secrets I've spent a lifetime trying to hide. Change must start somewhere, but how do I begin? So many fragments of each with a different face, each of them can see that I can't keep up this pace. The inner child wants the childhood. The serious me wants discussion. All of us just want a life that's good without empty repercussions. The angry me wants to release this rage. The balanced me wants more faith. All of us want freedom from this cage. Away from the darkness that lurks like a rage. The wilder me wants a huge dose of fun. The man me at times wishes to be whole. Piece together all those fragments so I can feel like I have a soul. I want to stop being afraid. I want to believe I can change. Time to clean up this mess I made and prepare to turn the page. This story isn't finished. There's still so much to tell. Once my illness has diminished and I'm free from this sales, I mean this safe made hell. Piece them all together again, these fragments of mine. Once that's complete, that is when I can leave this thing behind. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm trying not to cry, so. <laughs> hey, I'm crying. I'm crying, so don't you hold back. <laughs> oh, I love that, man. <laughs> I do, too. Mm. He wow. really believes in you. Yeah, I'm, I was always shocked, too, from the beginning. You know, we just connected on Instagram Mm-hmm. Of all things, over a post because somebody had had been really rude on one of my posts unnecessarily and said something that just wasn't necessary. It's like, okay, yes. if this doesn't apply to you, mm-hmm. just keep scrolling. Like, why would you tear somebody down? You know, right? And so right. I ended up posting something on my Instagram saying, like, yeah, well, I just had to block someone because they did this, and a lot of people jumped on that um, post and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm so sorry you know, don't let that get you down. And, and he actually reached out to me from that and said, you know, hey, we need to stick together, you know, as poets. We, know, we need all the help we can get. And he, you know, gave me so much useful advice and, and tips and encouragement. And mm-hmm. I think he's a really beautiful person and I'm thankful that he's my friend. So Yes, I love that. Yes. <laughs> wow. Let's take a brief break, Desiree, and we'll be right okay. back, all right? All right. Sounds good. 
We are back. I am here with Desiree Batiste. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Please share a poem, Desiree. All right. I think I'm going to go to one of my newer ones that is not currently in a book yet. And let me find it here. This one actually was really... Um, kind of personal to me because I, I'm i very proud of my husband. He, mm-hmm. on Friday, will have three weeks that he has been sober. He finally right. conquered the demon, it looks like. And, you know, that was a huge step for him to even admit that. And Congratulations uh, to him. All right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I was inspired to write this poem just based on from my perspective, at least of having to watch him when he was drunk, what I thought he would probably, he was probably going through during that time mm-hmm. and what he's feeling now. So this poem's called Look Up. Trapped like a genie when the bottle sucked me in, shackled and needing to escape. It feels good until it feels bad. I'm relaxed until I'm jumping out of my skin. You lied to me. You said the answer was within. But all I found was a trap. Time kept moving around me. If anything changes, it was for the worse. The voices are laughing at me. They think I've lost this fight. I'm ashamed. I wish everyone would leave me alone. I'm scared. I wish someone would hold my hand. I thought I needed you, but all I really needed was me. To find me, to love me, to help me. I'm no longer digging a bottomless pit while hypnotized in a trance, shovel in hand. I can see where I am now. I can look up and see the way out to freedom, to a better me, to life, one where I have the control. I have hope. I have plans. I have a life that's been given to me, a second chance to do all the things I never thought I could do. All I needed to do was look up so I could see and reach for the hand which has been stretched out all along to pull me to safety. The hand up helps, but only because I reach for it. Wow. You know, there's a statement. Life is not for the weak. Mm -hmm. Life is for the bold and courageous. I agree. So much is happening in our world, Desiree. Mm -hmm. The good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. Mm -hmm. What do you view as being the role of a modern-day society? So I kind of feel like poets of today have a very important role, and that's to remind others what it means to be human. Because people are so divided and distrusting of others. They feel judged or they've been hurt lots of times. 
And poetry is a way to penetrate through that fear and touch another person. And when Mm -hmm. they relate to your words and experiences, it helps them to feel validated and that someone else out there does understand. And sometimes that might be enough to prompt them to start sharing their story with others and let the healing begin. And poets touch our hearts every single day and we're that much better as a result of it. So I kind of think that's our destiny. Very nice. You know, we've reached my favorite part of the program. I view it as being a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you to share two or three of your works back to back. No interruptions from me. Desiree, you're on the stage. Okay, perfect. So first I'm going to pick She Is Not Me, But I Am Her. And this one has a lot of imagery kind of a time travel component, if you will, but uh, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback so far. Standing here now, the woman before you is nothing like the me of then. I cannot see how I survived all I went through. I knew I'd escape, just didn't know when. I wish somehow I could go back in time and talk to my former self to chisel wisdom, wisdom into concrete ears. I wouldn't try to change my life or try to amass wealth but just try to leave some comfort to pass the years. I still want the life I have now. It's all I could have ever wished for. And I'm thankful it's mine every day. There's a part of me that doesn't like how behind every closed window and locked door stood an obstacle in my way. Obstacles make us grow and change. That's not the part I don't see or why I'd reach out to the me that's malleable. I must ask, I find it so strange as I look over that past me. Did you know that you're valuable? Of course you don't. That's why you gave up and threw your hopes away. You say you'll try harder, but you won't. All you say is how high when someone says jump. You wish for no tomorrow because of the pain felt today. What would I say to her? That me of 1995 with strong will. I would gently take her hand and say, I know things are horrible, sure. And they'll get even worse still, but you need to hold fast to your faith. Remember, life is a miracle returned to you. This is a blessed second chance. Your decisions will shape the path we walk. She will know it's true. She will walk away without a second glance and think, thanks for the talk. But the words, they'll take a while to sink in. A seed planted, which needs time to grow. Into the hedge maze we now traverse. Each time we get lost within, she will come to know. When dealing with time, there is no reverse. The maze is changing behind us, giving us only options forward, pushing us toward the present. Each time we make a fuss or try to make the struggles beyond hard, the memory of our talk will be heaven sent. That wall behind us made of leaves, pushing against our back, guiding us to the now, cares not for sobs and heaves, cuts no slack, only knows you must move forward, but cares not how. Step after step, year after year, Heartbreak time and again. Scars that heal but never stop bleeding. Determination replaces fear, even at times when she cries she's not getting what she's needing. Do I think she will remember the words? Will she keep moving on our path? Or will she go a different way? She'll be drawn to what she yearns. But how can you be sure? Picking leaves off my back. Because I'm here now with you today. And my next one is called Glass Doors, and this is how I view meeting my husband and what 
what that did to change me as a person. It's been a lifetime I've spent with all this darkness, locked away in a perfect home, the view always inspiring from behind the glass doors. It made me believe that someday I would be free. Try as I might, these doors didn't open so I could come into the light. Every wish I made to get out of this gilded cage was like a phone call straight to your heart, reaching you over the years. My suffering was like a beacon drawing you to the desert. When you found me, you saw through the glass doors, which would only open from the outside. You walked in and freed me from my cage. The darkness I had been trapped in passed through the door like a bad smell. That was the day you found me and you found your home within my arms. And I think, let's see, the next one I'll do is the Phoenix. And this is just kind of an inspiration of me picking myself back up and reminding myself when I get down that I am awesome. All right. Take, take these broken wings. Let them fall away. Remove the safety net. Let's see how this story ends. I walk the tightrope with eyes shut tight, feeling the danger but welcoming it, expecting the moment when the ground will rush up to meet me. Will that finally end the years of sadness, comparing myself to those I admire, yet always coming up short? Surely the answer is no. For wherever I may go from here, be it good or bad, I'll still be me when I get there, with the same fears and insecurities. I'll always wonder why. True happiness eluded me. Why only doubt and apathy were my constant companions. Why I couldn't see the beauty within me. Why I couldn't allow love to grow as fast as hate did. Why I thought I couldn't handle any of it. Why I decided to give up, knowing it would change nothing. Knowing then that peace can't be achieved this way, I must open my eyes as I walk this fine line. Ignore the ashen soot surrounding me. I must mend these broken wings. Being reborn does not come only through death. Our choices can breathe new life into us. I must never forget who I am. I am the phoenix, and I will rise again. That's it. <laughs> do you think you were meant to be a poet? I do. I do. Um, Tell me more. Ever since, me more. Ever since I could remember, mm-hmm. for many decades, I've wanted to write and, and create, and I think that the spirit of creation came faster with drawing from my own experiences and my own memories than it did trying to invent characters. Cause I actually have been working on my psychological thriller for like 27 years. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like to chapter five, but to be fair, mm-hmm. I also was doing a lot of like research because, you know, there's always those naysayers who read something and they're like, that's not possible. You know, even though like you might be talking about something sci-fi in the future or whatever, you know, you always get that, that critique of, well, why didn't they do this? And so I'm trying to kind of close those holes as much as I can. I know there's still always going to be criticism, but perfectionism as it is, that's kind of where I am with that. But I just feel more connected to sharing from my heart than I do, you know, spinning a tail, even though I can do both really well. I Mm -hmm, just kind of mm -hmm. feel more drawn to that path. And that's, you know, all the professors that I had in college, even they were like, you are meant to be a writer. Like there's no doubt. I had, I had one, uh, write a letter of recommendation that I ended up getting a scholarship from speaking of, you know, my writing and stuff. I had two other professors say, 
that I was already performing at a graduate level and that I needed to not sell myself short. And that was huge for me, you know. So graduating with a 4.0 in the face of all of the stuff that I was going through at the time, the abuse and the self-doubt and the exhaustion of all of it. A lot, yes. When I'm determined and I set my mind to something, it will happen. I know. I can tell. Well, let me ask you this question. What surprises you most about being a poet? Two things, I think. Um, Probably the first being how difficult it can be sometimes to get that connection with other people because of that stigma that some people Mm -hmm. have about poetry. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also on the flip side of that, when you do have that connection, how reassuring that is to the person who read it and Mm -hmm. when they feel that they're feelings or their experience has been validated by somebody else. All right. And just that little carrot of healing. I mean, it's so magical. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've encountered it with other people's work where it just really, I, I guess the term is what hits you in the feels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you just get blown away by it. And you're like, wow, you know, I, I'm not just some, you know, dysfunctional malfunctioning machine out there in the world, you know, punching my head while it's on fire like somebody else does get what I'm going through and, and all I right very important I agree 100 percent you published now mm-hmm. the shaping of a diamond I did yes you did just knowing <laughs> that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet or are you content knowing that they're out of your system I am always growing, always evolving. I'm always writing new stuff. I actually wrote a new poem today. (laughs) So, um, I mean, as long as we're breathing and we're Mm -hmm. human, we're never going to stop feeling. And so I don't feel like one book or one poem can sum up your whole life and you're just like, oh, I'm done. You know, like it's a path and you're always growing and evolving and changing. And I think that's really important because you can look back on some of those earlier experiences and go, wow, yeah, I was really going through it. But look where I am now. Okay. You know, we've reached the end of our poetic journey, mm-hmm. but I'd like to bring Michael Lee Johnson back in for his final Okay. Poems. All right. Sure. Oh, wow. Michael. Yeah, I was really going through it, but look where I am now. Okay. Michael? You know, <laughs> Are you there, sir? The end of our poetic journey, <laughs> but I'd like to bring Michael Lee Johnson back in. Echo. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. How are you? How are you? I am. You're, are you there? Right. Yes, yes. Your final thoughts for Desiree tonight. Oh, I got thoughts for Desiree. <laughs> Nothing but encouragement. All right. The Aww. bottom line is uh, she's got a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. She has the spirit that I picked up on. And I may not be that significant in life, but I picked up on her spirit. Her spirit is what's going to make her great. It's just a matter of time. Now, listen, Desiree, I've got a question for you. Sure. If you grow up and find yourself somewhere different, how do you respond to your critics How do you feel when you're naked and afraid in the poetry world? 
I think I just look back on my experiences, you know, and everything that I've survived and just look at it like, hey, this is one more feather in my cap. This is one more opportunity to push past my fear and to embrace it rather than trying to look at it as something that's going to stop me and just roll with the punches, you know? I mean, some criticism is going to be super helpful, and I have gotten a lot of good criticism, and I use it to my advantage advantage and some criticism is probably just personal taste or something that one person might feel that the rest of the people don't agree with and I mean that's valid too but I mean is that worth uprooting and changing your entire story and and how you communicate no you know so it's just about learning the difference between those things and just staying focused on what your message is all right well you you know I have a response yes Uh, Rick quick because I think makes under the timeline Response, let no one steal your joy mm. or sidetrack your dreams. Mm-hmm. Even when they tell you, you you're not making no money. It's a mm-hmm. waste of time. Everyone does it. You're not mm-hmm. special. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Respond back and say, I walk on my competition. I accept most rejections. Less confrontation, then I act on them as they do others. Delete them, replace them, have faith, and forever move on. Wow. That's so beautiful. Nice. Thank you very much for that. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice, Michael. How can, how can we find your book? So it's actually primarily for sale on Amazon, but it is also available for expanded distribution. So if you uh, looked up, you know, my my first and last name or the title of the book on like uh, Barnes and Noble or some other places, I think it's even available in libraries and stuff like that. It's, oh, it's wow. pretty much yeah, it's, it's got pretty wide distribution right now. But Very nice. Amazon's Very probably nice. the quickest if you're local and you're in Arizona. You can pick it up at Immortal Trees Bookstore, which is located Avondale, Arizona. I don't have the address immediately in front of me, but just Google it. They're there. They're great people. I love them. How can we stay in touch with you? So um, I have many different ways that I can be reached, but I'd say the one that's probably the most cohesive is through my Booksy profile. So if you go on to booksy.com and you search my name, it actually has all of the links for like my YouTube, my Facebook, my Instagram you know, all of those good things, my TikTok, and uh, people should be able to find me from there. So, Now, is that Booksy, B-O-O-K-S-E-E, or B-O-O-K-S-E-Y? It's actually B-O-O-K-S-I-E. All right. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. <laughs> I didn't even think about yeah. that one. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> B-O-O-K-S-I-E dot com. All yeah. right. Correct. <laughs> Where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? Um, Well, like I said, I mean, anytime the moment strikes me or I'm thinking about something in particular, it might be something that's weighing heavy on my heart that I'm like, you know what? I really need to deal with this right now, you know, and I'll just sit down and and write it. And Mm -hmm. uh, usually I'll go to open mic night the following month and, you know, bring in that whole stack of, hey, this is what I've been doing since the last time I was here. And, you know, read that to people and share. 
I'm still working on my autobiography. There's a lot of, um, I got to get out of the weeds with that, mainly because, like I said, I have been in therapy since 2019, and there are some things that it's just really, really, really hard for me to come to terms with. Um, One of those things being the fact that I'm actually pretty convinced, although I have no definitive proof and probably never will, I think that my mother had something to do with my father's death. And being that he was such an important part of my life. I mean, that's a really hard thing to wrap your head around and try to understand. And so, you know, I think I need to kind of make peace with those things in order to better write about them. Otherwise it's just going to come out of some angry rant and that's not really what I want, you know? So I'm working on that still, still working on my psychological thriller. Um, Guys, when that does come out, I think you're really going to like it. I've had a few random people read the chapters that I have done so far and, and they said look out James Patterson and I'm like yeah you're just being nice but <laughs> but you know if, if it is successful um that'll be great too but I mean even if it's just for entertainment you know getting that out there will be a good thing well I want to thank you for joining me sharing your work you know you state in your bio that Desiree feels that to uplift inspire, enlighten, and entertain are some of the best things which authors are privileged enough to share with the world, and you do all of the above. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I was actually honored to be accepted as a guest. Um, it's been an amazing experience um, getting to speak with you and to talk to the audience out there and to get to speak kind of voice-to-voice with MLJ. Yes, yes. Incredible writer, incredible yep. future. Incredible I wish you person. nothing but the best. Incredible person. I wish you yep. nothing but the best. All right. To you, to Michael Lee Johnson, to the listening audience, as I share with everyone every single time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night. Desiree, okay. good night, Michael. Yes, good night. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.